0: Welcome to Market Matters, a podcast brought to you by Emirates NBD. I am Maurice Gravier.
1: And I'm Katija Haq.
0: Today, we have decided to join forces to try and make sense of what is happening in the global economy, what to expect over the, ne- the next few months, and how to position ourselves in this volatile market. So let's start with you, Katija, our chief economist. What's going on?
1: Oh man, where do we start Maurice? There is so much going on and it feels like over the summer, things have just kind of snowballed and escalated, whichever region we look at. So if we start with central banks, they have become increasingly more hawkish since the summer much more aggressive in terms of signaling a faster pace of rate hikes going forward. At the same time, the data is showing a slowdown in growth in China, in the Eurozone, in the UK, and even in the US. Although, relatively speaking, I think the US is holding up quite well compared to the Eurozone and the UK. So if we think about where we are going in the next few months, it's almost a given that interest rates are going to go much higher than where we are now. That means that the dollar is going to become or remain strong, um, which makes it even more difficult for uh, countries like um, the u k eurozone, and many emerging markets to co- to tackle their inflation issues because a strong dollar for them means higher import costs and higher inflation. We also have emerging markets which are highly indebted, um, which will find it more and more difficult. To meet their debt obligations or to refinance their dollar-denominated debt in this environment of a strong dollar and higher rates, and then of course um, you know China, which in the past has helped the global economy recover from big recessions like the the global financial crisis in two thousand eight two thousand nine, mm-hmm. but this time around it's facing its own unique set of um, issues, including uh, the property sector in China, their COVID zero policy, which is weighing on their activity. And so it may not be able to play that role of dragging the economy out of a recession this time around. Mm-hmm. And then just in case that wasn't enough, we also have the geopolitical tensions in Europe, which seemingly by the week are becoming more and more Uh, you know, tense and and difficult to navigate. Um, So the conflict in Russia, Ukraine, there's a risk of escalation there. There is a risk of further disruption to energy supplies. um, And then that potentially, you know, puts even more pressure on the Eurozone economies. Um, And then, of course, uh, further east, the tensions between China and Taiwan, which perhaps have fallen out of the headlines recently, but remain very much, uh, in focus, particularly for the United States. So, I mean, there is a lot for us to worry about. In this very challenging environment of uncertainty, rising interest rates, slowing growth, high inflation, how on earth do you position yourself in your portfolio in order to at least preserve capital and hopefully generate some returns?
0: Yeah, that's a big question because you, you describe a very dark picture. And let, but you're right. And let me start by the fact that uh, this backdrop that you just described is absolutely terrible for investors and it's quite new. First, there are headwinds for every single asset class. By comparison, even during the great financial crisis, at least government bonds were rising. You had a safe haven. Now everything is correlated to the downside. There is probably another difference, which is the fact that it's a slow-moving shock this time. We were used to have kind of quick fixes from central banks on any serious market issue. This is, as you just said, not the case anymore. Obviously, it's arguably the opposite. It's payback time. So it's a change of regime, so our first conviction is that we will keep on experimenting extreme volatility until we have a reasonable level of confidence that central banks will at least pause their ballistic tightening. In this context, the first advice is really to avoid leverage and short-term speculation, which are very dangerous. Now, coming to your question on asset allocation. We overweight cash for safety, downside protection and flexibility. We also overweight, and that was our latest chance in September, the safest government bonds, especially U.S. treasuries, because they have a very compelling risk reward profile, especially at maturity. By contrast, and this uh, resonates well with what you said about emerging markets, we clearly underweight the riskiest segments of fixed income spread in high yield and In many segments of EM debt are too low for the current backdrop. Risk, and it's a bit paradoxical, is, we think, better rewarded in equities. We are neutral stocks in developed markets because they already price in, we think, a lot. We are slightly underweight in emerging markets, with some exceptions based on macro factors. Finally, we favor alternatives, especially hedge funds for their asymmetry, but also a bit of gold. So, Bottom line, we cannot say that we are outright bearish, but we expect huge ups and downs, as no sustainable rally can start without an inflection from Western central banks. It's in their hands, it's fundamentally about, of course, inflation and growth, but we also wonder to what extent they could start to care about financial, I mean, market instability. So, your views, dear Katidia, on what could trigger them are absolutely paramount.
1: I think this is obviously everybody's big question at what stage will the Fed blink I think what was actually really interesting one of the really interesting things that has happened over the last week or so has been in the UK where we saw markets sell off in a disorderly way in response to the mini budget that was announced um, by the new Prime Minister and the the Chancellor mm. and the Bank of England's decision to intervene in order to stabilise the gilt market was completely unexpected. I think most people had anticipated that they would come in with sort of an emergency uh, rate hike to try and stabilise the market. But in the end, they looked at the gilt market, they looked at what was going on with pension funds and margin calls, and they said, right, we will buy bonds to make sure that this doesn't turn into a bigger financial crisis, even though just the week before they'd said they were going to start QT, right? So I think that is certainly a case of a central bank blinking Mm. in the face of financial market volatility that has been taken to a level where it starts to threaten the stability potentially of the financial system. Now, I don't think the Fed is anywhere close to that point because we haven't seen the same kind of volatility in US financial markets as we've seen In the last couple of weeks in the UK, for example. I also think that when you look at the messaging from the Fed over the last two, three months, they've made it very, very clear that their only priority at this stage is bringing inflation down. Mm. And they're even willing to accept that the unemployment rate will rise, by more than half a half a percent, which historically has signaled a recession in the U.S. Right. economy, and they've sort of said, "Well, you know, we need the labor market to weaken, we need the housing market to to, to soften, um, you know, we want that gap between the number of jobs available and the number of people looking for work to close." We're starting to see that now, um, but they've made it very clear that they they will be pain for households and for businesses, but that inflation and getting inflation down is their main goal. So I think. You know, if we were to start to see inflation come down sustainably, not just one good reading next month, but several months of slowing core CPI on a month on month basis, and then we started to see some impact on the US economy from what's happening in other global markets, then potentially the Fed may be in a position to pause. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that they will rush to cut for the reasons that they've outlined. They don't want to cut too quickly and then have inflation rush back as soon as things pick up again. I also think that there are other tools that they can use in the event that US financial markets start to become um, much more volatile and, and start to pose a risk to the economy. They can do other things besides cutting rates. They can do something similar to the Bank of England where they can tweak their uh, quantitative tightening program. Mm, sure. They can uh, provide liquidity in certain parts of the market where it's needed, but still keep their rate hikes in the in the short end of the curve very much in play. So I think if markets are looking for the Fed to pivot mm-hmm. in the way that they would like to support equities, I, I think that is very premature. I don't see that happening. I think it would take a much more uh, dangerous uh you know financial market situation in order to to cause them to change course so dramatically um but i do think there are other ways that they can provide liquid, liquidity and support without having to to cut rates
0: yeah absolutely that sounds um <laughs> That sounds fair, and we could also take the example of the ECB, which has invented this uh, transmission protection instrument precisely to be able to use the balance sheet to uh, to, to address market uh, issues without um, without having to uh, to change on their hiking path. So, um, if I link that to what you were saying about the fact that U.S. growth is resilient uh, between the growth differential and the rates differential, we'll have higher interest rates and probably a stronger dollar for for some time. And um, well. Higher interest rates are not only bad news for investors after all. We can be happy with that. Talking about a stronger dollar, uh, the UAE and many of our neighbour countries, they run currency pegs to the dollar and their central banks follow the Fed. So how is the situation in our region of which you are an expert?
1: (laughs) So I think actually if there was any place you'd want to be um, over the next 12 to 18 months, the GCC is probably one of those places. Um, I think the region is very well positioned to weather the global economic downturn. Um, Yes, a stronger dollar is a challenge for countries where the currency is pegged because obviously if the dollar strengthens, then your home currency strengthens as well. And that means that you become less competitive um, on a number of fronts. And it's going to particularly affect services industries like tourism, uh, transport, because ultimately, you know, in the UAE's case, um, around half of our international visitors come from emerging markets. So where their currencies have depreciated significantly against the dollar, <clears throat> it becomes much more expensive to come on holiday to the UAE or to even buy property here and, and, uh, and, and export from here. So I think that potentially does uh, prove to be a drag on growth to some extent next year. Um, and of course, higher borrowing costs will probably deter some private sector investment. It might become too expensive. Consumers, I think, will feel the pinch. Uh, inflation uh, has picked up in the region, maybe not as much as to the in the rest of the world, but it certainly is higher than we are used to. So you have uh, higher borrowing costs, high inflation. I think consumption, personal consumption may be negatively affected as well. But one thing that the GCC has, which the rest of the world doesn't have, um, are sizable budget surpluses. Mm -hmm, And that is a really, really uh, healthy cushion to be able to draw on when times are tough because it means governments can maintain their investment in their domestic economies, in their big mega projects, um, and the areas where they want to develop um, strategic sectors and, and pursue their diversification goals. So I think... In that way, we could see and we're expecting the GCC economies to continue to grow next year, even if we see slow or negative growth in some of the bigger developed markets and and many emerging markets as well. So I think overall, the outlook for at least the next 12 to 18 months looks quite constructive, Um, we are not of the view that oil prices will fall sharply. So I think that's another reason why we're quite optimistic about the region next year. We think oil prices will remain relatively elevated and certainly OPEC's uh, likely decision to cut production, um, which we're expecting later today, will support um, oil prices going forward as well. And then I think also we need to remember The amount of structural reform that has been announced and that has happened in the UAE over the last two years, it really has been a game changer for uh, businesses, for foreign investors who want to come in um, and for people who want to make the UAE their base and uh, not have to depend on formal sector employment. So entrepreneurs, freelancers, people who want to work remotely, uh, you know, for companies in other geographies, but base themselves here. So I think all of that is going to help to support uh, the UAE's non-oil economy, even against this weaker global backdrop that we are now facing.
0: Yeah, Thank you for that. And, and you're right. We, we tend to focus on the negative side of things in the current mood, but, um, but it's quite spectacular what's happening. And I have seen, correct me if I'm wrong, you, you adjusted the, um, uh, higher your, your growth forecast for the UAE for this year and next year. And these kind of numbers would be a dream for all the, the the developed countries or so-called developed countries. And by the way, I mentioned exceptions in our overall underweight in stocks from emerging markets, but I have to say that the UAE is one of them. For the reasons you just described, we are clearly overweight there. And by the way, uh, to conclude, because we are coming to the end uh, on a positive note, uh, it's good to see that the DFM index, the Dubai index and the MSCI GCC are both up. 5% and slightly more so far this year. So, uh, let's keep hope. It's a difficult picture. We expect volatility. We see there is volatility everywhere, including in the, the macroeconomic variables in the central banks everywhere. Uh, we are there for you. Thank you very much, Katija, for, for taking the time. We should do that uh, more often. We always interact a lot for all our investment decisions and uh, we appreciate a lot your insight on the, on the macro. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Uh, stay tuned invest wisely for the long term and uh, see you soon